This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So Earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy episode 308 with Laura Vanderkam. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes for our sponsors can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 308. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Laura Vanderkam is the author of several time management books, including Off the Clock, I Know How She Does It, and 168 Hours. Her TED Talk, How to Gain Control of Your Free Time, has been viewed more than 7 million times. She is the co-host with Sarah Hart Unger of the podcast Best of Both Worlds. She lives outside Philadelphia with her husband and her four kids and blogs at lauravandercam.com. So Laura reached out to me about her most recent book, Off the Clock, and she sent me a copy. And I thought, oh, this is going to be great because time management for moms, like this will be perfect. And I have to say, I was like so sucked into the book. I thought I could just do a quick overview. And I was like, no, the morning of the interview, I was like, hold on, Laura, like I need to get through one more chapter. This is so good. And it's so compelling and fascinating and brilliant. And so I'm really, really excited to invite you into this conversation because I think that Laura's work is going to give you a unique perspective on time management. It's going to open your eyes to see how much is really possible. And it's going to give you a lot of, I think, a greater sense of power over your time so that you really truly feel like you do have all the time that you need to do the things you want to do. So trust me, if Laura can do it with four kids, she is a marathon runner, she's an author, she blogs, she podcasts, like all these things. If she feels like she has more than enough time in her day to do everything she wants to do, I promise you, you can find it too. And she's going to give you some really great tips with this today. So listen in to hear Laura share the secrets of people who have all the time in the world, how a mom of 18-month-old triplets created three hours of personal time for herself every damn day, what she learned from time-tracking her habits for 8,784 hours, how to change your perspective on time and immediately have more time in your day, how to better prioritize time for things you actually enjoy, why checking our phones makes us feel like we have less time, how to use memories to expand time, and why you should start planning your upcoming weeks on Friday 
not on Sunday or on Monday. This was kind of like earth shattering for me. And then I felt silly that I had not been following this for like, you know, my first 43 years of life. So I'm so excited to have you join me for this conversation. I know you're going to find some really great actionable tips. So let's go ahead and dive in with Laura Vanderkam. Laura Vanderkam, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be a fun conversation. I should let our listeners know that you were introduced to me through Maria Ross, who was one of my very first guests on the show. And when she told me about you, I was like, oh, yes, this woman sounds fantastic. And then you have come into my universe in so many different ways since that introduction. And I keep on having my mind blown with how many things you have done and books you have written and places that you exist in the online space. So it is like an honor to have you joining us today. Well, thank you so much. I'm flattered. (laughs) This will be good. This will be good. So I know that you have written many books. You are a full-time shameless mom of four kids And so things are super busy. And I want to know what are the dynamics of your personal and professional life right now beyond your bio that you're most excited about? And I'll let people know we're recording this right before the holidays. So that might play into your answer. It might not. But (laughs) (laughs) just wanted to put that in there as well. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of cool stuff going on in my life. Like you said, I write books on time management and productivity. I actually have a new one coming out in March that is a fable. So it is a fictional look at time management lessons. So that'll be very different. Here's hoping that people who've read my nonfiction books might be willing to read something in story format and they won't be like, what on earth is this? So fingers crossed for that. I'm excited about that. Um, Yeah, doing a lot of speaking. Preparing for a Christmas concert, I sing in my church choir, and we have our, you know, annual Christmas show coming up. So I've been working on a lot of Christmas music. (laughs) It takes a surprising amount of time. And you'll laugh at this as the mom thing. I actually spent this big chunk of time this morning, like 90 minutes this morning, making a poster board about our family, because Mm -hmm. I agreed to contribute a poster to our elementary school's family museum. They have this display in the front case. And so they highlight two families every month. And I guess we're on for December and all of a sudden it's the end of November. And here I am. I I thought I was done with poster board after seventh grade. (laughs) Totally. totally. That's so fun. I might be alone in this opinion, but I kind of like getting lost in those kind of projects. There's something like cathartic about it. Now, depending on the time pressure behind it, like if it's a super last minute thing that doesn't feel cathartic and fun. But if you have a little bit of space for those kinds of things, I think they can be really fun. They can be. I mean, I got to say, I'm not maybe the world's most artistically gifted person. (laughs) So there was a, you know, I'm trying to figure out like, okay, like if I put a red background behind this text and then put like a silver background. (laughs) Is that artsy enough? (laughs) Is that artsy enough? Like, is this going to embarrass my children when it's in the display? Yeah, all that stuff. So I have to acknowledge, and one of the things that stood out to me just over and over in the book, which people might already be picking up on, is that you are writing all the books, doing all the speaking, raising four children, and yet you still have like, I'm going to spend 90 minutes this morning working on this project for my child's school, or I'm going to be singing with this choir for the holidays, or I know in your book you reference like training for long distance running events. And one of the things that is mind-blowing to me and also so promising is that when you look at someone's life and you think like that person should not have a minute for anything, and then you see all the space that they do have for the things that they choose to have space for, it's really hopeful. I mean, also I'm a little bit jealous, but it's really <laughs> hopeful. And so I'm, I know, apparently I mean, I'm, I'm just not that busy. I don't know. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. I think it's so hopeful when you're like, if she can train for a marathon with all the things that she does in her daily life, like that means I can do it too. And that feels well, maybe good. I got to say, I'm not training for a marathon right now. So that's not finding space in my life. I think you have to decide what you do enjoy and put yes. time against that. And yeah. as much as possible, not put time against other things. And so there are benefits, obviously, of working for myself, running my own business. That Generally, things happen roughly when I want them to happen. I can yeah. uh, organize my schedule for that or you know, speaking, obviously, travel takes time to get places and get back. But the travel is quick in and out, you know, you fly somewhere, you give an hour speech, you maybe fly back that night or the next day. So, you know, I know other people who have traveled for work have much more challenging situations. But you know, it really, 
is about having a sense of awareness of where the time is and where it goes. And then awareness of what you would like to be doing with it and what is not a good use of your time. And as much as possible, you can keep your eye on that goal. You feel like you start just manufacturing time in your life. Yes. Yes. You know, I love that you pointed out like, and I think this perspective is so powerful. You pointed out like, oh, when I travel, it might only take a day or a day and a half. I can fly in, speak for an hour and leave. And when you have that perspective that I'm just going to go do this really quickly and be home soon, that's very different than like, oh, on Wednesday, I have to go to San Francisco and it's going to take up like, you know, a big chunk of my week. Like just that mindset of like, I'm just going to fly in and out really quick. I'll be home soon. You know, whether it's for 36 hours, 48 hours, whatever, that's such a different mindset than like, oh, I'm losing two days this week. And so just that, I think <laughs> is, that's so powerful right there. And that perspective, I think, gives you the sense of having all the time that you need, which I think really impacts how we make decisions and how we prioritize time. Yeah, I'm very rational about exactly how much time things take, which I think helps. I mean, both my husband and I have this perspective that, you know, we know how much time things often take and we don't give them more time than that sort of in the mental telling of it. Both of us travel for work and, you know, we have the moving parts of four children. But if you're telling yourself a story that it's chaotic and, you know, out of control and life is unsustainable, well, that's what you're going to see. Yes. But if you're not telling yourself that story, you're just like, yeah, you know, I'm gone one night this week or two nights this week and I'm home five. I mean, that's just a very different story. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that was really impactful at the beginning of your book, and I should mention because you have so many books, (laughs) let me just mention which one I'm referring to. So in Off the Clock, Feel Less Busy While Getting More Done, you talk about in the beginning of the book that your experience was one of the hardest parts of having kids was constantly being accountable for your time. So how did motherhood change your relationship with time? Because I think that a lot of us can relate to feeling like time is no longer our own. And I know that with four kids, that is probably exponentially more so. Well, it's no harder with four, I got to say, than it is with one. I mean, the real time changing your perspective on time comes from, you know, going zero to one. Okay. Because before that, like most people don't have something that they constantly have to be aware of. Like, and maybe you're in a family situation where your spouse is completely in charge of your kids and then you're not thinking about it either. I don't know. But like for many people, this is the first time they're like, oh, well, you know, I can't just make up sleep if I get a bad night. You know, I can't just sleep in on the weekend. I can't just, you know, work late without figuring out arrangements, you know, whether it's asking my spouse to cover or, you know, making you know somebody else to pick up a daycare or asking a child care worker to stay late, but whatever, you know, you can't just do that. Or if you need to travel somewhere, you have to figure out the overnight coverage or if your spouse is going to be around, if you have a spouse, you know, just all these logistical details associated with time that just aren't there before. Obviously some people do, I don't know, maybe you've had pets that require a lot of care right, or, you're, right. or, you're, or you're caring for other family members. I mean, many people have, you know, parents or other relatives that they're caring for. So I don't mean to be glib about it, but for me, at least it was the moment where that happened. And I realized, well, you know, I still have all these other things I want to do with my life. I'm not one of those people, you know, have a baby and I'm instantly like, oh, I want to do nothing else ever than watch this child drool. You know, (laughs) babies are awesome. I had four of them, but I don't have that personality where like, I cannot miss a minute. You know, (laughs) there's some, there's some pretty boring minutes. Um, There really are. I did not anticipate the boring minutes and they really, (laughs) there were a lot of them. (laughs) There are a lot of them. So, you know, I have other things I want to do. I want to run. I want to sing. I'm, you know, continuing with my career. And so I had to figure out, well, how can I make the pieces of my life still fit together? And really, that's what sparked my interest in time management. I started looking at what other people were doing. You know, what are people who do have big, fabulous, interesting careers and also have happy families and do other things with their lives too? Like, what are they doing? Because this is the thing, you know, they may have other resources than the rest of us. I'm not saying that they're not smarter or better looking or have more money or anything like that. That could totally be true, but they don't have more time. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purifier process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters. And they're specifically designed to combat 
chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients, active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family. So to get your own active skin repair, go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20% off your order when you use the code shameless. That's activeskinrepair.com. Use the code shameless for 20% off your order. Activeskinrepair.com, code shameless. And so figuring out how they allocate the 24 hours we all have each day, the 168 hours we all have each week. Well, we can see what we can learn from these people and what tips from that may be doable in our own lives too. Yeah, definitely. You pointed out in the book at one point that people exaggerate their amount of time that they spend on things frequently. And often they exaggerate how much they work and that you said one time someone told you they work 180 hours a week. And you were like, that's fantastic. Like, tell me about those 12 extra hours that don't even actually exist because a week is only 168 hours. It is true, you know, but if this person was working in such a way as to generate an extra 12 hours in a week, like, you know, I want to invest. (laughs) Right, right, exactly, exactly. So do tell us a little bit about how we over-exaggerate time, because I thought this was really enlightening. And again, it's all about the story we tell ourselves. And you had this experience, even you were estimating that you were working 50 hours a week. And when you tracked it, you found out that wasn't actually the case. Yeah. I mean, so it's not just like me making fun of other people here. Like I totally do this myself. What happens is that most of us don't actually know where our time goes. We may have rough ideas, like we have sort of general schedules. And obviously, if you get paid by the hour, you probably know how many hours you're working. But a lot of people who don't, it's a bit more of a nebulous concept. And we have this funny tendency, it's just part of the human brain, to remember the worst things as typical. And so if you think about a week, like, you know, maybe you put in a 12-hour day on Tuesday, like as an epic day, but in your mind, that sort of becomes typical. And then you think, mm-hmm. oh, so I must work 60 hours a week, right? And maybe I do a little work on the weekends too. That's probably like five hours right there. I'm working 65 hours a week, except you never did another 12-hour 
day, that whole week. You know, there were breaks there, were, you know, you came in late on Friday because you had a dentist appointment. You left earlier on Friday. Like you, you know, had a longer lunch on Thursday. You were out at, you know, 630 the other night. Like, you know, it's not probably right. 65 hours. And so we have a tendency to remember the worst days as typical. And also, you know, we live in a competitive world. Like if your colleagues are all talking about their 80 hour work week, so you don't want to be like, yeah, actually I tracked and we work 46. (laughs) (laughs) I'll just throw that out there. So these things play on each other to wind up with exaggerations. And like I said, I do this too. I had tracked my time for various weeks over the years because obviously I make other people do this for my projects. So I should fair game, do it myself. And those weeks I had tracked, I'd always worked about 50 hours a week. And then in April of 2015, I decided to start tracking my time continuously just to get a longer term view of where my time really went. So I, I wound up tracking initially. My goal was a year and I tracked for a whole year. But within the first few weeks, I saw pretty clearly that in the past, I had chosen very specific weeks to track, like namely the weeks when I worked 50 hours a week, because I wanted to see myself as the kind of person who was working 50 hours a week. And, you know, you track all your time, you see that that is not typical. And I'm not saying I never worked 50 hours a week. Obviously, there were weeks I worked 50. There were weeks I worked 60. But there's also weeks I worked 20. There's weeks I worked 30. So, you know, it all came out to a lot closer to 40 than I had thought it would. I think that's so interesting. And I Totally agree. So you tracked for 8,784 hours, which was a full year, right? Yep. That was the first year from April 2015 to 2016. And normally a year has 8,760 hours, but it was a leap year. I remember reading that part and being like, oh, I'd probably be annoyed that I had like extra hours to be accountable. (laughs) And extra hours to account for. Right. right. So when you did that, you tracked everything. And you had all four of your children. Yeah. My youngest was three months old. Okay. That's right. That's right. I remember thinking still there was a tiny baby in hand there. So talk about just the commitment of that. And then, I mean, you're basically, your whole book is like the ahas from that, but was there anything just like completely jumped out at you? And did you ever think like, I just want to take a day off from tracking? (laughs) It's really not that onerous at all. I got to tell you, I mean, because people do ask me that. They're like, well, do you just stop on vacations or something? Well, well, why? You know, why would I? It's like saying, do you not brush your teeth on vacation? I mean, I think most of us still brush our teeth on vacation. (laughs) Most of us. (laughs) Most of us. Maybe some people don't. It's just a habit. And the good thing about tracking time, the human brain is actually pretty good at remembering the previous 24 hours. There's some interesting research into this. So even if I did stop for a day, like I could reconstruct the day. Okay. And 48 hours, you're clueless. Like <laughs> once it's 24 hours is gone, it's gone. But you can remember the previous 24 hours. So, you know, it really takes me about three minutes a day. I check in just a couple of times and write what I've done since the last time I checked in. So, you know, once I got into the rhythm of doing it, which was, you know, within the first few weeks, it was not hard at all. I just kept going with it. And at this point, I just don't see any reason to stop. So you've continued since that year. Yeah. So it's been over three and a half years now. But, you know, what I see from it is, as you said, I work less than I think. I get a reasonable amount of sleep. Although the truth, I learned I sleep somewhere, you know, about 7.3 to 7.4 hours per day when you average it over a long period of time. And that was actually good to see that I don't need eight hours of sleep because I'm Mm. one of those people that was a little bit obsessive about this, you know, my good sleep hygiene, try to be in bed for the eight hours or whatever. And then I'd get worried if I slept seven hours. And I now know that getting six and a half or seven hours on any given night is totally fine. Like that's within shooting distance of my average and I will make it up over the next few days. So like if I've slept six and a half hours, I actually don't need to worry about it which is very calming. I don't know. That was a big relief to me. Yeah. I thought that part was really interesting as well. And I loved where you noted where over time you would notice like, you know, there might be weeks, especially in baby land, there might be weeks where you're like, oh, I got less sleep this week. But then you would notice like, oh, but I took a nap on Saturday. So that gives me like three hours back or two hours back or whatever. So you did notice that the trend for you, even when you had little stints where you were getting less than desirable amounts of sleep, that the trend like on a weekly basis or a monthly basis still kept you at the same average that your body would eventually, even if you were running low, your body would eventually be like, tonight we're going to bed super early or Saturday afternoon, we're going to crash for a few hours without you conscientiously thinking, I need to make up two hours of sleep. So here's where I'm going to schedule it. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't calculating my totals on a weekly or even a monthly basis. I do it sort of every six months. And so it was interesting to see to me how 
set that 7.374 was. I mean, the first year I tracked, it was 7.4. The second year I tracked, it was 7.4. The third year I tracked, it was 7.3. I mean, these are hundreds of nights, you know, for the average to come out within, you know, the hundredth of the hour, in fact, like that was actually just a rounding thing that made it 7.3 versus 7.4. Pretty clear, like that is my set point. Right, right. So you have to tell us about this mom of triplets. And I think speaking of the sleep thing, I mean, you would think no one would be more sleep deprived than a mom of triplets. And she actually had some really big realizations about her time. And I have to say that was really eye-opening the way she talked about sleep and like having triplets was totally manageable. And I think like, I can't imagine thinking in anyone's experience, like having trips is just totally fine. Like, yeah. It's going great. So tell us, about, great. Yeah, tell us about that story. I thought that was so fascinating. Well, so this woman had two young kids and then she and her husband decided to have a third in the course of going about attempting to produce a third. She spontaneously conceived triplets. So not, you know, like, oh, trying fertility treatments, right. think this might happen. This is just out of the blue sometimes happens in life. Yeah triplets. So, you know, bit of a curveball. But, you know, as she's preparing for this, you know, she's reading a lot of stuff online and people are basically saying, you know, when you have multiples, like you'll never sleep again, you'll never have time for yourself again. Life is just crazy. And, and so she's like, "Well, is this true?" Like, I don't know if it's true, but let me see if this is true. And so she tracked her time at various junctures over the first sort of 18 months of her triplets life. And, you know, the beginning was in fact pretty rough, you know, as you can imagine with three small babies and in fact, three early born babies because, you know, multiples tend to be born prematurely. But within like the first year, things had gotten a lot better and she had gotten them on a good sleep schedule. She'd sort of figured out ways to have coverage at different points of the day, but she had arranged to have a couple hours of time for herself per day. And rather than being like, woe is me, I have no time. She'd actually consciously said, well, this is where the time is. These are the things I'd like to do with it. Great. And then, you know, as the kids started getting older, it got even better. You know, they'd sleep more. And she uh, she was sort of sleeping, you know, seven and a half hours per day by the time they were 18 months old. She was you know, having a couple hours a day for non-triplet related activities. And yeah, it, it was just such a heartening thing to see because I know there's a lot of people who don't have toddler triplets mm-hmm. who will tell you that they have absolutely no free time whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Whereas this woman, you know, in a situation where it would be very easy to say and have everyone believe you, like I have no free time whatsoever, she had made sure she did. And I really appreciated that perspective. I totally agree. I mean, so much of it is exactly that. So much of it is your own perspective. And it's really easy to get into to really own and embrace like wearing your busy badge, as I call it. And just whenever you run into someone saying, oh my gosh, everything's just so busy and crazy and I'm just a hot mess. And then like, that's your reality that you have created for yourself and the story that you've created for yourself. And the other side of that is that you could have, you know, this woman who has two young children and triplets who has three hours of personal time for herself every day. And because her perspective is that, I can schedule my life in a way and manage my time in a way that allows for that, which is so powerful. And so, I mean, that's like a game changer. So let's talk about the mindfulness piece because you definitely encourage using mindfulness as a time management tool. Can you speak to that a little bit? Well, this is really about knowing where the time goes so you can check any stories that you are telling yourself. And it's very easy to tell yourself these stories. Like you said, wearing the busy badge or I'm overworked, I'm a working parent, therefore I must be sleep deprived, or everyone knows that parents have no time to exercise, or, you know, there's just various things we're telling ourselves. And, you know, I don't know, maybe they're true, but maybe they're not. And it might be helpful to see where the time really goes before we talk ourselves into these various stories. Right, right. And so what's a first step for someone who feels like they have no time for themselves, who is in that place of like, everything just feels hectic and frantic, and like, they're just putting out fires all the time. Is there a first step in terms of mindfulness where they can start to have some awareness around either the logistical matters of it, like how they can start reframing time, or just the mindset around it? Well, I always say that the first step to spending your time better is figuring out where it really goes now. And, you know, I mentioned that I've been tracking my time for three and a half years. You don't have to do that. Like nobody has to track their time for three and a half years. But I do think that tracking for one week will give you a lot of insight into where your time goes. And now yeah. people will tell me I'm too busy to track my time. Okay. Okay. 
<laughs> like then you're really just stuck with your story. But right. like, let's just try. It does yeah. not have to be perfect. Right. Just you know, write it down in a notebook. I use these spreadsheets because you know, spreadsheets give me a good visual picture of it. Don't make it perfect. Like people are often very busy or like high achieving people. They're like, well, what are the categories I should use? They need to be mutually exclusive and comprehensively exhaustive. <laughs> like stop. You don't have to make a pie chart. It's right. Okay. Right. Like just just write it down. And, you know, my spreadsheets have days of the week across the top, Sunday through, I mean, Monday through Sunday, half hour blocks across the left-hand side, 5 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. So basically the 168 hours of a week represented as a 336 cell spreadsheet. Not that fancy. You can get one from my website if you want, but it's just Excel. You can make one yourself very quickly if you needed to. And just, you know, write it down. Like, you know, start in the middle. You don't have to wait for Monday morning to start. Start now, like reconstruct what you did for the previous 24 hours. Like I said, you know, most people can do that with a reasonable amount of accuracy. And then you're like, Hey, I already have a day. I may as well keep going for another day. Yeah. And then, you know, see how it goes. And at the end of it, you just look at it. You don't need to judge, like, don't have this as a, you know, am I good or bad at this? Mm. I, you know, no one's good or bad. It's a skill like anything else. So look at it, how you're spending your time and ask yourself, well, what do you like about it? You know, hopefully some things are awesome. We should celebrate whatever that is. Maybe, you know, what do I want to spend more time doing in my life? And what do I want to spend less time doing? And, you know, once you have those things in mind, you can start looking for opportunities to spend more time on the things that are cool and, you know, maybe spend less time on the things that aren't so cool. Yeah. This makes me think of one of the recent iPhone updates, and you probably have an opinion about this. One of the recent iPhone updates will give you automatic feedback for how much time you spend on, I believe it's on social media or maybe it's just on screen time. I can't remember because I've only looked at it once or twice. But I think that's really valuable feedback to know. Like, I mean, there's times when I've gotten that feedback that like, you've spent four hours on your phone today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that's not a good thing to be proud. I mean, and then I also immediately think, well, but I use Instagram for work. <laughs> so that's totally work time. But it's that kind of feedback is like, so valuable and fascinating. And of course, like my husband who thinks I'm on my phone too much would say, See, that's four hours on your phone. And then in my mind, I'm like, but I use it for work. It's all work related. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it, it is interesting. But, Every Sunday morning to be confronted with, yeah. <laughs> with the data about yes. our weekly screen time use. And Apple is doing, a, I don't know if you call it a, a service or not a service for doing that. Um, but I do think it is enlightening. And, you know, so take it for what it is. It's probably true. So you can rationalize it any way you want. It could be good or bad. Again, it's not good or bad. It's just what you think about it. Right. And so, you know, if you like it, great. If you think you should be spending more time on your phone, you don't hear that much, but maybe somebody <laughs> feels that way, then you can figure out how to scale it up. But if you want to be spending less time on your phone, then figure out, you know, what you can do other than be on the phone. Right, right. So two things that really stand out to me that we just covered when you talk about the tracking and you talk about high achievers, and I think this also goes, falls in line with perfectionists, that we often like, we think we have to have the perfect spreadsheet or wait for the perfect time to start. And so I love that you point out that like, no, this is not a perfect measuring system and a pie chart and all that. Like it's just about starting to get data for the sake of getting data. And number two, that it's all a neutral objective exercise. It's not about judging what you do. So it's not like, oh, wow, I spend four hours of time on my phone every day. I'm a horrible person. And I've probably neglected my child and my marriage. It's more just having that data because that data is power. I mean, I talk about frequently in many aspects of life, data collection, and using that just to inform your upcoming decisions rather than judging and critiquing yourselves. And I think oftentimes women who are high achievers or are perfectionistic, we take that data and we want to use it to judge ourselves. And so I'm a former gym owner and I saw for 16 years, women would take data around like their weight, their weight gain or weight loss over time and use that to critique themselves and judge themselves. My goal was always like, no, let's just look at this like in a neutral frame of like, here's what the data is showing us. What do we want to do with that? And I think that really fits here as well. Like, let's look at this data for the sake of the power it will give us to make decisions moving forward. Yeah, I totally agree. Data is what it is. And the thoughts and feelings you assign to it that, that tend to have the power. And I, I think if we just sort of look at it more objectively and rationally, then you can just decide, is it good? You know, is it something you want to do more of, less of? Like, are these numbers at a good level for you? Or is there something about them you'd like to do differently? You know, and same thing as weight. I love that you make that connection there because, you know, you could lose 10 pounds because you got the stomach flu, but that doesn't mean that was a great thing. 
<laughs> and it doesn't mean that you're like all of a sudden a way better person because you weigh 10 pounds less or that you're no. of more value or more lovable. And that's what a lot of pe- women think. So, I mean, all of it's the same thing with screen time. Like, I'm not a worse person if I spend more time on my phone. It's just data. <laughs> yeah. Could just mean I'm bored. <laughs> right, right, so. right. So in the book, you dive deeply into the seven secrets of people with all the time in the world. But can you just give us like a little overview of these seven secrets that people who we think have all the time in the world live by? Yeah. So for off the clock, I did a time diary study where I had 900 busy people track their time for a day. And then I asked them questions about how they felt about their time. So I could compare the schedules of people who felt like time was abundant. They felt relaxed about time with people who felt more stressed and starved for time. And these are all basically equivalently busy people. So it's not like, oh, well, these people are working part time and that's why they feel relaxed or these people are retired. That's why they feel relaxed. No, these were all sort of people who work full time raising children, busy people. And so what I found are the seven strategies that I document in the book. I mean, there's a certain level of mindfulness about time. I mean, just to tease out a few of them, one that's sort of interesting and possibly counterintuitive is that the people with the highest time scores, you know, time perception scores, who felt like they had the most time, were highly likely to have done something very interesting on the March Monday that I had them track. So it wasn't just a day of like, get up, commute to work, work, commute home, eat dinner, watch TV, go to bed. Like they did something else. And, you know, there's some pretty interesting things for a March Monday, like somebody went to salsa dancing lessons, like somebody went to a big band concert, somebody, you know, took their family to a movie on a Monday night. Like, (laughs) and these are people who feel like they have a lot of time. And you can sort of tease that. Well, why is that? You know, is it because they feel like they have a lot of time, they go to a movie on Monday? Or is it more just like going to a movie on a Monday, which is seems like a crazy thing to do, like makes you feel like you have more time. And I think it's the latter. I think that when you do memorable things and do sort of fun, out of the ordinary activities, it, it stretches the experience of time. And so that's something we, you know, we can all think about putting into our lives. Like what sort of little adventures can you plan into your daily life? Because often when we say, you know, where did the time go? Where did the time go? What you're saying is that you don't remember where the time went. But if you remember where the time went because you did something memorable with it, then you will feel like you have more time. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Utube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do? Are you looking for ways to simplify life to better align with your values? Do you want to create space in your schedule so you have room for more of the good stuff? Play, joy, relationships, gratitude, and more? If you answered yes to any of these questions, I invite you to check out Edit Your Life, a podcast to help you edit the unnecessary from your life so you have more room to enjoy the awesome. Through episodes with me, Christine Ko, and a range of super smart, compassionate, and thoughtful guests, you'll come away with big picture insights and practical ways to declutter your home, schedule, and mental space without getting bogged down by perfection. I have always believed that small moments and actions matter tremendously. My goal is to help you find agency and space in your life through doable baby steps that will leave you feeling accomplished instead of overwhelmed. Check out Edit Your Life wherever you enjoy your podcasts. That totally makes sense. And I love when you get really specific about like 
looking back at vacations. And when you look at, you gave some examples from your personal life of like noting really specific details from a vacation or from a certain day on a vacation. And that day or that trip feels big and long because you have like this visceral response to connecting to the memory. And I thought that was really powerful. And I was thinking about like when I was in labor and like every minute was like 24 hours to me because I was so connected to like every single thing that was happening during that time. So I totally agree with the way we can sense time expanding when we look back on it and be aware of that moving forward. So when we're in the middle of, you know, making a memory to be aware of like, oh, I want to remember this and I want to remember that because then it almost, it gives you this like extra bit of magic around it that you can make this thing, I think, you know, be bigger in your life moving forward if you really want to. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I want labor. To yeah, be but not labor. Labor was not the right example for that part. <laughs> Pain slows the experience right, right. of time on its own. The vacation, is- I was referring to the vacation part on that one, but yeah, no, the pain part, definitely not. So for people but who have labor coming is, up, don't think about we, anything during labor. Yeah, now could we take something that, you know, so things like pain naturally slows the experience of time, right? But the question is, can you have good stuff move at the same slow pace as painful, not great stuff. Mm. And I think you can, I mean, not completely, but you can have that awareness of moments and sort of taking in everything you can. And and you can stretch the experience of time by having good stuff in your life that you're looking forward to. So you can build in that anticipation to stretch the experience and then consciously take in memories and then review those memories later, like look back through photos, uh, talk with people who are also there. And these things will also stretch the experience of time. Right, right. Yeah. So let's talk about how we mindlessly fill our time. I mean, we talked about the phone thing already, but you specifically mentioned phone checking as a habit. And I think that's a really interesting one to address. So can you talk about how we mindlessly fill time and then also how we can change habits to create more time? Yeah. So with the phone check, I mean, often what it is, is you're looking to see what time it is as much as anything else. And and so then, but once you've checked what time it is, you like, oh, well, I should just see what's here while I'm on it. And, you know, you check your email. So then it sort of feels like you're being productive. Like, look at me, I'm checking email. But the honest truth is you probably didn't need to. You're looking to see what's there, but like half the time it's, you know, just a J crew ad or something like that. And so these little checks tend to chop up what could be free time. Like you could do something bigger with this time, but you're not. You're just constantly checking the phone. And, you know, there's various things you can do. I mean, one is putting your phone in airplane mode, for instance, if you're not actually yeah. expecting any calls or something. Because then you can see the time, but it gives that one extra thing you got to do in order to get into all the good stuff that's coming in, right? And so, you know, you pause and you're like, well, is this really what I want to do right now? You can leave the phone behind like you don't actually have to have it with you at all points and you know a lot of people before 2000 whatever three four or something did not in fact have <laughs> access to the world blowing right right <laughs> mind blowing and, and somehow or our parents actually went out on dates without cell phones they did this funny thing where they gave the sitter the name of the restaurant and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> if, you know, there was an emergency, right. all things that you could do as well. But, you know, I think it's also about filling your life with cool stuff, because when you yeah. have really cool stuff going on in your life, you just naturally check your phone less. And I was happy to see that we're recording this at the end of November. Last week was Thanksgiving. My screen time number was way down for that week. I think it was because you know we were doing all this stuff over mm-hmm. vacation. Like, uh, you know, uh, first I knew most people weren't emailing me anyway. So what was the point of looking? you know, but we're out and about doing stuff and we're, you know, hanging out with family. So, so we're just not on the phone. Like there's no real point. It's like in the bag somewhere. So, you know, those are the things that kind of naturally have you be on the phone less. And the more you do of those things, the sort of less pulled to it, you'll feel. I agree. I've noticed in the last probably two years, I spend so much less time on my phone when I am in vacation mode. And even though as an entrepreneur, I have a hard time not thinking about work things. Like I often feel like on vacation, my mind is still engaged in work stuff. I've noticed how I sometimes will lose track of my phone only on vacation though, where I'll be like, where did I put that again? Because in the rest of my life, my phone is like, it's an extension of my body to the point that it's a little disturbing. And like, I'll walk into my closet holding my phone. Like I walk from room to room in my house and I know I have a lot of friends who don't do this. And I'm like, how do they do that? How do they just like not take their phone with them? But on vacation, for some reason in my brain, it clicks differently where I'm like, I can just set this over here 
for like eight hours and I don't have to pick it up. And that is really, really freeing. And so I've been trying to think more about like, how can I get over this compulsion to feel like I need to have my phone with me all the time. And a lot of it for me is like, I love listening to podcasts. So if I'm in my closet folding laundry, like I want a podcast playing, so I need my phone right there. So it's like finding other ways to fill time where I don't need that piece of technology. But I definitely do that on vacation. And I think that's really eye-opening and freeing that we can, for me, that I can do that. Agree. Totally. Yeah. It's really nice. So where do you see moms missing the opportunity to, to prioritize their time? Well, I think certainly on the weekends, it's very easy to not think about weekends. We tend to think about life as sort of Monday through Thursday and then ignore the rest of the time, even though I mentioned I track my time on these weekly spreadsheets that start Monday at 5 a.m. So they go Monday at 5 a.m. to Monday at 5 a.m. If that is the week, the halfway point is actually 5 p.m. Thursday. Like Mm. you and I are recording this on a Thursday afternoon. I feel like, oh, my God, this week has been so long. We're still in the first half of the week. Like there's a whole second half of this week that is (laughs) coming. That is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, I mean, I start my count at 5 a.m. Monday, but I mean, I'm looking at my you know, spreadsheet and I got out of bed at like 6.15. So in fact, this second half of the week starts 6.15 PM Thursday for me. Mm. You know, it's a lot of time left to go of the week. And so I think it's really just about being conscious uh, that it is so much time and asking yourself, well, what would I like to do with it? I mean, there's going to be family time. There's going to be kid time. There's stuff you have to do. And maybe this is when you do your grocery shopping or your laundry or whatever, but there's also things you want to do. What could you do over the weekend that you would like to do that will add to your energy level so you hit the first half of the week ready to go? And so just having sort of that planning mindset and really thinking about what you'd like to do with these copious quantities of time vastly increases the chances that you spend it in meaningful ways. One of the other habits that you mentioned in the book, I and mean, your reference to how the week is framed out right now just made me think of this. You mentioned that you use Friday afternoons to plan your upcoming week. And that was like mind blowing for me because I think that, and I'm someone who totally like I do some teaching around planning for upcoming weeks, especially when I was a gym owner and I did a lot of stuff around nutrition. Like, okay, you know, on Sunday, you're going to go to the grocery store and you're going to get your recipes and you're going to prep your food and you're going to look at your calendar for the workouts that you have coming up the next week. And in reading your thoughts around doing this on Friday afternoon, I was like, oh my gosh, by Sunday, it's like you're late already. Um, So (laughs) talk about that because I'm completely going to start doing this now. You talk about using time on Friday afternoon to plan the upcoming week. So you're not waiting till Sunday night to do it. And you're definitely not doing it on Monday morning where you already feel, and I definitely feel this way myself, like, oh my gosh, I'm already behind. So I don't even have time to sit down and plan my week because like I'm already in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say that Sunday planning is better than no planning. Yes. Um, yes. So, so if, <laughs> yes. if people are listening to this and Sunday planning works for them, like awesome. You don't have to change just because what you're saying though is true. Like once you're in time, it's hard to direct it. It's like kind of you're canoeing down a stream and you're in the current. You, you kind of just have to roll with it at that point. Right. Whereas this planning allows you to kind of pull your craft over to the side of the river, survey the rocks and the currents up ahead of you and kind of <laughs> figure out what the smartest course might be. The reason I do it Friday afternoon is because I'm not doing anything else on Friday Mm. afternoon. Like, I don't know anybody who's like, you know, Friday afternoon is my peak productivity time. Like, (laughs) I am on fire on Friday afternoon. Like, this is, nobody is is feeling that way on Friday Mm. afternoon. So it is very easy to waste this time. But if you take a little bit of it to think about what future you should be doing, you can actually turn what might be wasted time into some of your most productive minutes of the week. It's practical as well. If you need to set things up for the next week, like work meetings or, you know, doctor appointments, or whatever, like people are still at their desks on yeah, Friday. So yeah. if you call, like you're going to get them, whereas Sunday night you are not. So that's another upside of Friday afternoon is planning during sort of what are considered office hours, various places. It gives you a chance to think about the upcoming weekend. You know, obviously, if you're trying to book sitters and things like that, you probably need to do it a little bit more ahead of time. But if you haven't put a whole lot of thought into your weekend, it gives you a last chance to do it. Say, oh, yeah, this is the stuff that's coming up. This is what we'd like to do. This is when, you know, I should talk to my partner about trading off or maybe I have a friend I can trade off with if you're parenting on your own. And so then, you know, you you can have some time for non-kid related things. You know, so it gives you a chance to do that. 
But yeah, just think through the week ahead. You know, what would you like to focus on? What are the most important things for you in, in all the spheres of life? So if you're, you know, working professionally, but also relationships and self as well. I think it makes so much sense. I'm excited. I'm excited for so tomorrow's Friday. I'm going to do this. <laughs> and your point of like, we are not at our best on Friday afternoons. We're not in our most productive phase. I remember my husband who works in a traditional nine to five job and every once in a while he'll have a meeting on a Friday at four. And he's, I mean, whenever it comes up, he's like, who, who, like, who did it? Right. Like, like at that point, somebody needs to be assigned to bring beer and someone else to bring chips because right. like, that's basically no <laughs> universe. Is this a good idea? <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, it doesn't happen often, but everyone like you don't plan meetings for Fridays at four and you don't plan meetings for Mondays at 8am. Like those are just not when people when you're going to get anyone in a good mood. So, okay. So this has been so great. So helpful. I wanted to ask, I have to, cause I, opened something up here in the book. Oh, I wanted to touch on, so you talk about people being a good use of time. Talk about that. I think that's such a great, valid and valuable point. So in my time diary study for off the clock, I could, you know, compare the schedules of people who felt like time was abundant and people who felt starved for time. And I found that people's time perception scores rose in direct correlation to how much of their time they were spending with friends and family. So the people who spent most of their free time like with friends and family felt like they had a lot of time. People who spent most of their free time watching TV or on social media felt starved for free for, for time. And, you know, they both had time. Like, you know, when you're on social media, that is generally free time. But it feels less, you know, like time is abundant when you're scrolling around on Instagram. The, the comparison I love to use is that it's the difference between throwing a dinner party and looking on Instagram at photos of other people's dinner parties. Oh, such a good example. <laughs> because, I mean, both are enjoyable ways to spend an evening. Like, they're both ways you can spend your free time. Uh, one obviously takes a ton more effort right. than the other. Right. But it will be a lot more satisfying and meaningful. will create great memories. will make you feel like you have more time because you have these memories. Whereas the evening spent looking at photos of other people's lives on Instagram is completely forgettable. There is nothing about that that you will remember, like, outside the next 24 hours. It's gone. It's as right. if the time never even existed. Right. And so, you know, I'm not saying get off social media because that's unrealistic. And I'm also not saying throw a dinner party every night because that is also unrealistic. <laughs> right. But we, we have this tendency to overindulge in effortless fun and underindulge in effortful fun because we have this hang up in our brains of like, well, why should my fun take work? Mm. Right. But if you can get over that and say, well, guess what? Fun, like all things in life, takes work. But if I do put work into it, I will have so much more fun. So maybe it's worth that extra little bit of effort. I think you'll find yourself feeling like you have more time. Right. And I think that also pulls you out of the comparison trap. I was actually just listening to someone on social media this morning talking about when she sees stuff on social media that makes her feel jealous, her check-in with herself is, am I jealous of that person or resentful toward that person? Or am I just having like this emotional response because that person is doing something I want to do or has something I want to have. And so therefore, could I just go out and do that thing or have that thing? <laughs> yes. Like, and your example is perfect. Like if you're scrolling through social media, seeing that all these people are having these amazing, beautiful dinner parties and you're feeling, sometimes that helps creates a feeling of comparison and not like a great emotional sense of well-being then go out and create that thing. And yeah. the benefit of that will be that now you have these memories and you will be able to expand time with them in your mind. I mean, there's so many, and obviously the quality time in relationship building as well, so many benefits. I think that's such a great point. Yeah. Envy can be a useful emotion if you allow it to be information about yes. what is important to you. Right. And yeah, I do this too. I mean, I can laugh about it, but you know, sometimes I'll see photos online of people with their children in like beautiful matching clothes and I'm like oh those people I can't I'm like guess what Laura like there are stores right that sell clothes that will take your credit card just like anyone else <laughs> like this is not something you cannot do this is not outside the realm of possibility right. now it's possible that when you think about it you're like well that's actually not a big priority for me right which you know good to know <laughs> Right. Yeah. That's so funny because I actually last year saw a bunch of people on social media with like matching family pajamas for Christmas. And I was like, we should do that. Like we clearly, our family is not complete because we don't have the matching holiday pajamas. And so this year I went to look into getting the matching pajamas and I was like, huh, 
do I really want to spend $200 on this? Nah, not really. Yeah. <laughs> like all of a sudden I was like, this is not that cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, rather go out to dinner somewhere nice. Totally. <laughs> totally. Oh, this has been so great. And I so appreciate you taking the time to dive into all this with us. I want to know before we go, in what ways you are a shameless mom? Oh, shameless. You know, that's such an interesting word that you've chosen for this podcast. You know, I got to say that I am good about making time for my own interests. And I, you know, I sing in my church choir, for instance, and I took a couple of years off for singing, but more because we moved in there and I'd sung in a choir in New York and we lived there and I sang there, you know, for four years after having children. So I had little kids, I made it to all my rehearsals and all that because I liked it. And I couldn't find a choir here at the beginning. And then we, you know, got more involved in this church and I realized, well, they have a pretty decent choir and I like that. So I, I joined that. It takes time. You know, every Thursday night I'm at rehearsals. Every Sunday morning I get up and go to church. And, you know, it requires some things from my family. I don't think it requires a huge amount of thing for my family, but it requires something. But I'm cool with that. You know, it's like I deserve to have my own activities. I spend like I track my time. I saw that one Monday a couple of weeks ago. I actually spent 72 minutes driving to and from Swim practice four times. Uh, It's an 18 minute round trip each time. And you know, if I'm doing that, I can have time for my stuff as well. Totally, totally. Oh, this has been so good and so eye opening and enlightening. So I really, really appreciate it. Before I let you go, please tell everyone where we can find you where people can find your resources and connect with you. Yeah, so please come visit my website, which is lauravandercam.com. If you have listened to all the back catalog of episodes from the Shameless Moms podcast, you're still looking for other podcasts, you can come listen to Best of Both Worlds, which is one that I co-host with uh, Sarah Hart Unger, looking at how people combine work and family in ways that, you know, are rocking both. So please connect with me there. Awesome. I will have everything linked up in the show notes. You can pop over to those locations and also find you on social media. Laura, thank you. Thank you. This has been really amazing. And I know that people listening have had some aha moments that are going to really positively impact their quality of life. And that is a huge, huge gift. So thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.
When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.